We're on Yavamas Yadalad Amar Aleph in the Arsul Gemara on page 14a2. We, the Gemara just came to the conclusion that this prohibition that we've been discussing of Los Iskodidu, uh, that you're not allowed to have agudos, agudos, different groups following different opinions, is a limited uh, negative commandment, a, neg- a limited love. According to Abaye, it only applies with regards to uh, two courts within one city. If it applies, to th- it does not apply with regards to two different cities. You could have two different cities where in one city they follow one opinion and in the other city they follow a different opinion. That is the position of Abaye. Rava says that no, even within one city, if it's two different courts, they're allowed to argue with each other. The whole Isser, the whole prohibition, only applies if it's within one court. And that's how we ended off with in the last recording. The Gemara now is going to have uh, two different cases where they're going to ask a question from, where there's a, a certain difficulty based on those two different cases. And the Gemara is going to come up with the same answer for both places, for both questions. And the Gemara's answer is going to be, well, essentially, that even though we have different groups following different opinions, but it's in different places. And so because it's in different places, it's not a problem at all. According to everybody, it's not a problem. And the Gemara is then going to ask, well, if it's in different places, why did we even ask the question to begin with? So, And that's what they're going to ask for both cases, and then they're going to give uh, different answers for both cases, and we'll, we'll see the Gemara inside. But essentially, they're going to ask a question that we see that different groups follow different p- opinions, and the answer to that is that it's going to be that, in different, that they're in different places, and then they're going to ask a question, what was our original question if we already knew this principle that uh, it could only apply within one court, within one city, according to Rava, or at least, or for Abaye, it's at least within uh, one city, uh, but it doesn't apply to different places, so then why would, did we even ask the question to begin with? The Gemara is going to ask that for the next two cases. So let's see the Gemara inside. The Gemara says, Tashma. Uh, we have the following, Brisa. Barsel. It says that in the place of Rabbi Liazer, they followed the following position that if there is a mitzvah to do on Shabbos which overrides the laws of Shabbos, for example, the mitzvah of Mila, bris Mila, we do a circumcision on Shabbos, even though that violates Shabbos, we still do the circumcision. There's an opinion, everyone agrees to that, but there's a position that says that you're even allowed to violate Shabbos to prepare for the bris milah, meaning if you don't have a knife to do the circumcision, you're allowed to, you're allowed to cut the trees to make charcoal in order to make the iron for the knife. You're allowed to do whatever you need to do, even though it's in violation of Shabbos, but because you're allowed to violate Shabbos to perform the mitzvah, we also let you, uh, we also let you prepare for the mitzvah and violate Shabbos within that Preparation, and that is a unique position. That's not the position taken uh, by most. But in the place of Rabbi Yezer, they follow that position. Additionally, says the Brisa that in the place of Rabbi Yosiaglili, they would eat uh, basar of pachalav. They would have chicken and milk. They would have um, chicken uh, cheeseburgers. They would have. Uh, they would have. They would mix milk with uh, chicken. Now that's unique to the place of Rabbi Glili. Most of the opinion that it's a rabbinic prohibition. The biblical prohibition is meat and milk. Uh, we are of the opinion that it's a rabbinic prohibition to have chicken 
with milk. And, and Rabbi Yossi was of the opinion that it's completely permissible to have chicken with milk. And that's what they followed in where he lived. So the Gemara is going to ask. But the, the Gemara really asks from the first case. The Gemara asks, uh, So the Gemara asks, this is, only is true in the place of Rebbe Yezer. In the place of Rebbe Yezer, you're allowed to prepare for the bris milah, even if it includes violating Shabbos. Rabbi Kiva argues. Rabbi Kiva is of the opinion that no, if you're allowed to do it from before Shabbos, you're allowed to make the knife. You have It's possible to make... Uh, to make the knife before Shabbos, so then it doesn't violate Shabbos. You're not allowed to wait till Shabbos to then violate Shabbos in order to make the knife, which you're going to use to for the circumcision for the bris milah. So we see that there are different groups that follow different positions. So how do you explain that? So the Gemara answers, moving on to 1483 in the article, the Gemara says, What's the question? They're dealing with different places. We already said that different places could follow different positions. That's the answer. So the Gemara asks, the Karila, my Karila, so what was our question to begin with? Why did we even ask the question to begin with? The Gemara answers, We would have thought, which is, the following is an interesting idea, that because of Shabbos, because of the stringencies of Shabbos, we're, we're much more stringent when it comes to Shabbos, that maybe we would say that every place is viewed like one place. That even with, when it comes to Shabbos, we would have thought that even if it's in two different places, we would still be stringent. Everyone has to follow the same position when it comes to Shabbos, the answer is that no, we don't We don't say that Shabbos is different, that Shabbos is more stringent. Shabbos is like the other laws, and Los is go to do. This principle only applies within, let's say, one city, or even one based in, one court within one city. But once we're discussing different cities, so then you could have different groups following different positions. Case number two. We're moving on to another second case where we have a very similar back and forth. Tashma. We have the following prices. The case is as follows. Uh, Rabbi Avahu was the cases where uh, you're not allowed to, everyone agrees that you're not allowed to carry a, a candle which is lit on Shabbos. If it's lit, so then you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to carry it with you. It's muksa. On Shabbos, you're not allowed to do it. It's muksa. Now, if it goes out, if that candle, if the flame goes out, so then there's a discussion, which is not for now. When we go, when we discuss the when we learn the laws of Shabbos and Masechus Shabbos, we'll discuss it then. But uh, there's a machlokes as to whether or not you're allowed to carry it, whether it's muksa if it goes out. Let's say the flame goes out, are you allowed to carry that that uh, that candle? And so, what did Rabbi Avahu do? Rabbi Avahu, when he went to the city of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, he would move the lamp. That candle, which is not lit on Shabbos, when he went to the city of Rabbi Yochanan, he wouldn't move it. Uh, he would follow uh, the when he went to Yeshua ben Levi. He followed their custom, or not their custom, their law. And when he went to the city of Rabbi Yochanan, he would follow the law that uh, was of that city of Rabbi Yochanan. So the Gemara asks over there, what, what do you bring this down for? Hi, my question. We already we we said this already. If it's in different places, then. You're allowed to have different groups follow different positions if it's a, we're discussing two different cities, uh, and that's the answer. So the Gemara also the Gemara responds and says this is really what our question was about. We're not discussing the two different places. That's fine. We understand that. But Rabbi, but Rabbi Avo himself, how can he follow 
different positions. He has to have one position which he follows. How could he – he himself, sometimes he was lenient and he would carry this uh, this candle where the flame went out and sometimes he was stringent. But he himself, he should have one position. So the Gemara answers, Rabbi Avok, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Svirlei. Also an important point, Rabbi Yavo, really, he was lenient. He said that you could move these lamps around on Shabbos. It's not a problem of muksa. But, and this is also very important, but when he went to Rabbi Yochanan, out of respect for Rabbi Yochanan, he was stringent. So even though he himself was lenient, there's a concept of giving respect and honor to that city. If there's a certain city or rabbi within that city who's, who's stringent, so then there's a concept of being stringent, even if you yourself, you're lenient, but if you're able to be stringent, so out of respect to the rabbi of that city or to that city itself, one should be stringent. The Gemara asks, oh, The Gemara asks uh, one last question. It says, okay, Rabbi Avahu, so he understands the nuances that he really is lenient, but he should be stringent by the city of Rabbi Yochanan, out of respect to Rabbi Yochanan, but he also, he had... He had an attendant. He had someone with him. And and that attendant, he might, he'll go into Rabbi Yochanan's city and he'll start carrying the lamps even though they're stringent. So what did he do with his attendant? So my answer is no. He would teach his attendant. He would teach his uh, shamish uh, not to carry within the city of Rabbi Yochanan. He would teach him the nuances and tell him that really we are lenient, uh, but when it comes to Rabbi Yochanan's city, uh, we try to be stringent for Rabbi Yochanan. Which is also an interesting back and forth because uh, the Gemara is essentially asking the question that, okay, Rabbi Avohu, he understands the nuances, when to be lenient, when to be stringent, but maybe not his attendant. And the Gemara says that, no, you can e- teach him as well how to, uh, that, that really they're lenient, but we're stringent in, in certain scenarios out of respect to that rabbi. Okay, those are those two cases. In the end of the day, we are, uh, this, this prohibition only applies within one city or even within one Court, one based in within that particular city. The Gemara now goes back to a previous discussion which we had in, in the last recording. In the last recording, we had a machlokas, we had a dispute whether or not Beis Shammai really uh, follows the opinion of Beis Hillel. Does Beis Shammai continue in practice to follow his own opinion or does he, in the end of the day, agree to Beis Hillel? And the Gemara is going to, and that had to do with our Mishnah, the Gemara is going to try to prove from our Mishnah one way or the other. Again, in our Mishnah, in the context of our Mishnah, there was a Machlogis Beishama and Beishelel. The dispute between Beishama and Beishelel was about the co-wife of, uh, you have the case of Yibam, where uh, the brother passes away without any children, and he, he has two wives. One is related to the live brother, so let's say it's the daughter of the live brother, the other one is the co-wife. And Beishamah is of the opinion, everybody agrees, sorry, everybody agrees that when it comes to the uh, to the wife who is related to the brother, to the live brother, that there's no mitzvah of Yibam or Chalitza. The question is about the co-wife, the co-wife of the one who's not related. Beishelel is of the opinion that there is no mitzvah of Yibam. According to Beishamah, there is a mitzvah of Yibam. And so, for Beishamah, there's a mitzvah of Yibam. And if they were, the brother were to marry the, uh, the sister-in-law, the co-wife, then they perform the mitzvah of Yibam. It's great. According to Beis Hillel, it's a very severe prohibition because it's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law getting married. When there's no mitzvah of Yibam, that's, that's karis. That's a very severe prohibition, according to Beis Hillel. They also, as a result of this, they would argue also in the following scenario. Let's say the, the co-wife, who's not related already previously to the, to the brother-in-law, to the live brother, 
let's say she did not do Yibam or Chalitza, but she went and married somebody else. She just didn't do Yibam or Chalitza, she married somebody else. So according to Beis Shammai, that would be a problem. We had this earlier, that that would be a problem of, as an ordinary negative commandment. Um, that's a, it's a law, it's a negative commandment for, uh, the, for the sister-in-law to go ahead and marry somebody else before doing Yibam or Chalitza. According to Beis Hillel, it's perfectly fine. It's totally fine uh, because because there's no mitzvah of Yibam or Chalitza. They have the position that there is no mitzvah at all. They could go ahead and marry whoever they want. Uh, and so that would have, so again, they would have, there would be two cases where they would have a ramification. One is if they actually do Yibam, where Bishami says that's fine, according to Beishelel, it's a severe prohibition, where the child would be a mamzer. We would even say that the child is a mamzer in that case. Uh, the other case is where the sister-in-law the co-wife who's not related goes and marries somebody else before doing Yibam or Chalitza. According to Beis Shammai, the child is not a mamzer. It's a, an order, it's a regular negative commandment, so it's a prohibition, but the child would not be viewed as a mamzer. According to Beis Hillel, it's completely fine. Because there's no mitzvah of Yibam or Chalitza, it would be completely fine. So the Gemara says as follows. Tashma, let us try to prove from the language of the mission itself uh, whether or not Beis Shammai in the end of the day agrees to Beis Hillel or not. Because the Mishnah says as follows, Even though uh, some say that there's a prohibition, Beis Hillel says there's a prohibition for them to do Yibam. It's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law getting married, which is a prohibition outside the context of Yibam. And Beis Shammai says it's permissible because there is a mitzvah of Yibam, even though they have this argument. Beis Shammai. It didn't stop Beis Shammai from marrying the women of Beis Hillel and didn't stop Beis Hillel from marrying the women from that follow the position of Beis Shammai. That's what the Mishnah says. So the Gemara analyzes this and says as follows, I understand if you say that Beis Shammai then accepted practically the position of Beis Hillel, that's why they didn't refrain from marrying each other because everyone in the end of the day agreed to Beis Hillel. But if you say that Beis Shammai uh, maintained their position practically and they disagreed with Beis Hillel, so then why would... Why wouldn't they refrain from marrying each other? The, each other? Uh, there's a, there, there could be a mamzer. For Basil, there could be a, a, a mamzer that they're marrying. Why wouldn't they refrain from, from uh, marrying each other? So this seems to prove to us that really Beishamai does follow the position of Basil, and that's why they were allowed to marry each other. But the Gemara rejects it and says as follows. Beishlam Beishamai me Basil lo nimnu d'bnei chayvei lavininu. So the Gemara says as follows. We're, we're not actually discussing the sister-in-law in this case. What we're discussing is the child. right? We're not discussing the co-wife. We're discussing the child of the co-wife. So the Gemara says that, well, according to Beis Shammai, when would there be a problem? If the sister-in-law went and married somebody else, a random person, before doing Chalitz or Yibam, that's when there's a prohibition for Beis Shammai. For Beis Hillel, it's totally permissible because there's no mitzvah of Yibam, so it's totally permissible. But for Beis Shammai, that's when the problem occurs. That child, anyways, for Beis Shammai, is not a mamzer. That's an ordinary law, an ordinary negative commandment. It's not viewed as a severe one of kares. As such, the child is not a mamzer. So then, even if uh, they followed Beis Hillel and they said that they, they could go ahead and get married without doing Yibam or Chalitza, the child for Beis Shammai is anyways not a mamzer, so it's fine for them to marry that child. So for Beis Shammai, it's not a problem anyways. Even if you would come up with a scenario where it's, a, where it's not allowed for Beis Shammai, but the child anyways is, is not viewed as a mamzer, and you're allowed to marry 
the child. The problem is for Beis Hillel. Beis Hillel, what's the scenario where Beis Hillel has a problem, where it's a problem for Beis Hillel? It's where the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law do do Yibam. For Beis Shammai, it's a mitzvah to do Yibam. But according to Beis Hillel, it's a severe prohibition. Because it's not, there's no mitzvah of Yibam here, it's a severe prohibition for the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law to get married. The child then would be a mamzer. Because that prohibition has a punishment of kares, the child would be a mamzer. That's a problem. So if the child is a mamzer, so then how could the people who follow Beis Hillel marry that child? For Beis Shammai, it's perfectly fine. It's a mitzvah to do. But how could they marry uh, that child? So the Gemara answers, no, it's also, it's not a problem. The Gemara just proves from here that and says that, they added one more point, and the Gemara says that, and we know for sure that Beis Hillel also agrees that the child of that relationship where the punishment's kares is a mamzer. Maybe you would have thought differently, but the Gemara adds one line, and, which we're going to get back to uh, in a different recording, but it says that even Basilel also, Basilel agrees that the child would be a mamzer if it's uh, the child from a, a relationship which is deserving of kares. So the Gemara is trying to prove from here, So the fact that Basilel would marry this child, it seems, they would marry this, uh, the, or they would, they would, uh, the fact that they, that everyone agrees to each other and, and Beishelo would marry from the people of, uh, from the uh, from the women of Beishamai and Beishamai would marry from uh, the women that follow the position of Beishelo. That proves to us that Beishamai really agrees to Beishelo because if Beishamai did not agree to Beishelo, so then you would have scenarios where Beishelo, the people that follow Beishelo, would end up marrying potentially a mamzer, which is a very big problem. So the Gemara answers lo 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 olam asu demodeluhu uparshi no. Really, Beis Hillel, Beis Shammai, you could say, maintained his own position. He followed his own position. But when it says that they married each other, what it means is that they would marry each other. And if there would ever come to a scenario where, according to Beis Hillel, the child's a mamzer, according to Beis Shammai, the child's not a mamzer, Beis Shammai would inform the, pe- the people that follow Beis Shammai would inform the people that follow Beis Hillel to say that you should know, according to us, it's not a problem, but according to you, the child's a mamzer. So don't marry that person. Anybody else you can marry, but don't marry that person because they would inform them. Even though, according to their own position, it's not a problem, but they would inform them, they would inform Beis Hillel to tell them that, you know, you shouldn't marry this child because this child is a mamzer. So really, Beis Shammai can maintain their own position, uh, but they would just inform Beis Hillel whenever it would be a situation where, according to Beis Hillel, it's a problem, even though, according to themselves, it's not a problem. And the Gemara proves this. They say, This also makes sense because of the rest of our Mishnah. It says in the rest of our Mishnah, the Ketani Seifa, When it comes to the laws of purity and impurity, Beis Hillel was more stringent than Beis Shammai. And the Mishnah says that they would, uh, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't refrain from sharing uh, utensils with each other. So the Gemara says, I understand. I understand. Sigmar here says that when it comes to the utensils also, that Beishamai could borrow from Beishilal because Beishamai was more lenient. So if 
So even though if Basil said that you're allowed to use these utensils and that they're not impure, so then Bishamai would for sure hold that they're not impure. The question is, how could Basil borrow from Bishamai the utensils? So the answer is that they would borrow from them. But if it was ever a scenario where for Bishamai they didn't view it as impure, but Basil would view it as impure, Bishamai would notify Basil and say that, listen, you can't borrow this utensil, even though according to us, it's fine, it's perfectly fine, you shouldn't borrow it. So the same thing is true when it came to marriage. They would marry each other. If there was ever a scenario where Bishamai said that according to us, this child is perfect, is, is fine, you can marry them, but according to you, you can't, we'll let you know about it. And it's really, it's, it's, an, it's, 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 it's out of respect. Uh, there's different opinions. Some opinions say that this is actually uh, in a scenario, this could come up in a scenario where I'm of the position that this is not a problem. You're of the position that it is a problem. Uh, do I have to notify you or not? So there, according to some opinions, this might even be fall under lift naiver. There's a, a, a biblical prohibition to cause someone to sin. So even though according to me, you're not sinning, but according to you, you are, it would, be, it would potentially be, according to some opinions, a negative prohibition to tell them uh, to, to do something which I feel is allowed, but they feel is not allowed. And even if it's not a negative, even if it's not a negative prohibition from the Torah, we see from this Gemara that still you shouldn't do it. Out of respect, you should notify them, even though you're of the position that it's allowed. Since they think it's not allowed, you should let them know about it. Out of respect to their position. One last line. The Gemara then just asks, "My mehach." Well, the Gemara said that we could prove that they just it was out of respect to each other. They really had different positions, but it was out of respect. Uh, from the case of the kalim, of the utensils and purity and impurity, what is that? Pro- Why is that a greater proof? The Gemara answers: Isla Kamash Malan. The Gemara essentially answers that when it comes to utensils, people don't know whether utensils pure or impure. People know whether uh, people talk about other people more often, unfortunately. So uh, they talk about other people and they say, "Oh, we know that that's the co-wife of." Uh, who didn't go through Yibam or who did go through Yibam when they weren't supposed to. So that is out there. But when it comes to utensils, people don't really talk about utensils. And so therefore, uh, we could prove from the utensils case and say that, you know what, the, the whole point of the mission is to say that Bishamah informed Basil that this utensil is is impure or if it's pure. Um, and therefore, the proof comes from there because that's a case where it makes sense for them to inform each other because the rumors aren't spreading. And from that case, we could also learn to the case of the co-wife to say that what they, didn't, they would marry each other, but when it came to scenarios where, uh, where, uh, where it, it caused a dispute whether or not the child was a mom's there, so then they would just inform them and tell them that the child is a mom's there according to your position, and therefore you shouldn't marry uh, that child. Okay, that concludes uh, the recording. I apologize for the extra few minutes, and we'll continue with the Gemara in the next recording.